Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've had this scripture before, but we will look at this scripture again. 1 Corinthians 13, and for the very first time, my Bible has fallen apart. <laughs> I hope I can, I hope when it falls out, I find it. So this is 1 Corinthians 13 in my Bible. The first time it has ever fallen apart, and I've Boy, I've had this Bible 25, 30 years, this particular one. Mm -hmm. But I might have to get me a different one. 1 Corinthians 13 from the NIV Bible. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. And let me stop right there. When we get to this part of this message, on that particular verse, I'm going to talk about domestic violence and keeping no record of wrongs and what this means in that type of home. Verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Let me stop right there. Let me pray with you. So God, speak to us. When we are left to our natural selves, we do not gravitate towards love. So from time to time, God, we have to be refreshed in our mind, in our spirit, what real love is. So speak to us and help us to take one huge step in the direction of graduate-level love. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You have an outline in your bulletin. The outline is very easy. It follows the scripture. You can fill in the outline before we ever get to it. We're doing a series entitled Graduate Level Love. There's different levels of love. There's preschool love where I learn that Jesus loves me. There's elementary love where I learn that Jesus loves everybody. There's junior high love where I learn that if Jesus loves everybody, I'm supposed to love everybody, but not everybody is lovable. There's high school love where I learn I'm going to gravitate towards those who love me. It's just easier. I want to stay in my comfort zone. And every time you and I want to stay in our comfort zone, what we're really doing is operating at high school love. There's college love where I learn that what does love require of me? I've asked that question. What does love require of me? Then there's graduate level love. That's where I'm willing to make a sacrifice because of Christ's love on the cross I'm willing to make personal sacrifices for love. Graduate level love. Now let me start this morning by asking a question, and then I'm going to have you raise your hand in a moment here. 
but this is going to touch almost all of us. How many of us have ever had any kind of private lessons in your life? You know, you've had flying lessons, you've had tennis lessons, you've had golf lessons, you've had computer lessons in one time or another, you've had voice lessons, you wish you had had voice lessons, you know. You've been tutored in school, perhaps, in some subject or something like that. How many of us have had some kind of private lessons in our life? You know, almost all of us have at one time or another. And you know what that means? In order to take a private lesson of some sort, that requires humility. What you are really saying is, I don't know what I'm doing. I can get better at what I'm doing, and I'm willing to pay the price and willing to put down some money probably in order to have someone who's better at what? They're, they're better at doing what I want to do. So I'm going to ask them to help me. Amazingly, uh, though of course I went to school and I do things on my computer and I pay for all, all of that stuff too. Uh, the only time I've ever had private lessons, really, really personal private lessons, was to learn how to play the piano. And I learned how to play the piano, and Lydia's looking at me here, in order to play one song for the congregation, Jesus Loves Me. And even my secretary did not know that I was uh, taking piano lessons, and at the close of a service, I just sat down at the piano and... <clears throat> and played Jesus Loves Me. I just felt led to do that, and I did that. But I do other private lessons, but I've never done golf lessons and that type of thing. Well, this, <clears throat> excuse me, this morning, this is what I want us to do. I want us to pretend that we've all signed up for some sort of semi-private lessons so that we can get better at loving. Why do any of us need private lessons in order to get better at loving? Because this is what happens to all of us. When it comes to this graduate level love, none of us take natural steps to get into the level of graduate level love. You and I, left to ourselves, what really happens is we take steps down, 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 and eventually we get down to elementary love or high school love, I'm just going to love those that I'm comfortable with. We all have to be reminded that God wants us to take steps to get to graduate level love. Left to ourselves, we become less and less loving. And if we are honest with ourselves, all of us at some point in life have had a wake-up call that said, you know what, my response to this situation just isn't what it should be. I should be more loving. I should be more loving. 1 Corinthians 13, in your scripture there, our first step in the lesson. Love is patient. We live in a very impatient world. Our world does not have patience. This is interesting. We can have everything in an instant. You know, our microwaves, our instant coffee, drive-thrus and all that. We can have everything in an instant. But yet there's a part of us in our hearts and in our minds 
that we don't want to wait and be patient for anything. We live in an instant society. You've heard me talk about my smart TV that I feel is not real smart. I'm not patient with my smart TV because literally I have to push 14 buttons to get to the local news. And some of you are shaking your head. That is exactly how that smart TV works. Mm -hmm. We like Alexa. Because Alexa does things instantly. I don't have Alexa hooked up. I don't know how. I need a private lesson. I don't know how to hook Alexa up to the instant TV, the smart TV. I could probably have the grandkids teach me that, couldn't I? Yeah, I know that their TVs are hooked up to Alexa. We're not patient when the car in front of us at the stop sign doesn't take off. Or at the stoplight, it doesn't take off. This week, going back home, here, there was a guy that, uh, as I get off 20 and get on to Elm Street there, there was a guy who stopped at the yield sign, but there was no cars coming because he had to look at his phone. I was impatient. I did not honk my horn, but I said, buddy, there's no cars. I, can't, I don't need to tell you what I said, okay? Because you've said the same thing. We've all honked at the person in front of us because you didn't take off when the light turned green. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have all been honked at because we weren't thinking. The light's green. Maybe the person in the car with you has said, you know, the light's green. <laughs> yeah, the light's green. You can take off now. Mm -hmm. I'm not patient when the person on the four-lane highway, I'm not patient when the person in the left-hand lane is going at the speed limit or slower than the speed limit. If you're in the left-hand lane, you want to go faster than the speed limit. Any raisers of hands there? That's what the left-hand lane is for. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not patient when I get off the toll road. And the guy in front of me, his easy pass doesn't work. Then the sign right in front of me says, do not back up. I'm hung. You know, I'm a two cars deep in the lane. I'm hung. I will not be patient on election night if the results are not 30 minutes after the polls close on the West Coast. You may not be patient if the service runs long. We do not gravitate towards graduate-level love. We live in a world that's not patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is kind. Number two, love is kind. My daughter-in-law, Brooke, has a business where she makes capes, super kid capes is the name of her business, where she makes capes for kids' play, and she prints T-shirts I found out this week that actually Life Preschool here at Beulah has bought capes from her years ago. I was talking with Fonda. And she sells these online. She doesn't have a store. She sells these online and at large teachers' conventions uh, before COVID came around. One of the T-shirts, one of her popular T-shirts says this. 
Out of all the things you can be in the world, be kind. Love is kind. You could be annoying, but love says be kind. You can be obnoxious, but love says be kind. You can be loud, but love says be kind. Out of all the things that you could be, be kind. People are attracted to kind people. We'd like to be around kind people, don't we? We feel comfortable around kind people. You can be clever and witty and have a put down for everyone that doesn't agree with you, but love says be kind. And if I understand my computer Bible study program, correctly, this word for kind is found only here in the entire New Testament, meaning that there is a special type of kindness that can only be produced in our lives if we are operating at graduate level love. Be kind. Number three. Love does not envy. It does not envy. Now, some translations are going to use the word jealous. Love is not jealous. And in the Greek, and I need to tell you this right up front, I'm no Greek scholar. I only know what the computer screen tells me, okay? I took Greek in college and don't know why I did. Uh, (laughs) So I only know what the computer screen tells me. But in the Greek, there's a difference between envy and jealousy. Envy desires to deprive another person of what they have. Jealousy desires to have the same sort of thing that the other person has. There's a difference here. Let me try to illustrate this. You have a yellow Hummer. I envy your yellow Hummer to the point that I hope something bad happens to your yellow Hummer or I steal your yellow Hummer. That's envy. Jealousy says, I like your yellow Hummer, and I'm going to buy one just like your yellow Hummer. Envy is evil. I hope something bad happens. Jealousy, in some cases, is just a natural response to liking something that somebody else has. Now, I'm going to get one just like it. Love does not envy. Number four. It does not boast. Again, the Greek word here for boast is found only here in the entire New Testament. Love will let others boast about themselves. Let them boast. But love does not boast about itself. Love will let others talk about all their trophies and all the things that they've done. And all their accomplishments. But love will not boast about itself. It does not boast. Number five, it is not proud. In some translations, you you use the word puffed up. Love is not puffed up at all. The word here means inflated. Love is not inflated. 
We should do a little, little congregational survey here again. How many of you like those Halloween blow-ups, those plastic blow-ups you can put in your front yard? And, and, uh, one person, two person. Oh, Linda, you love this congregation. She hates those things, okay? <laughs> she doesn't use the word hate, but <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, every time we go buy a house that has one of those, I say, I, I should bring one of those home. and put Our other house had, had several porches on it. I should bring one of those home and put it on the porch. And she, uh, her response sometimes wasn't real loving back to me, okay? <laughs> no, it was, it was. But every time I go buy those little blow-ups, Christmas blow-ups too here, Halloween blow-ups, Christmas blow-ups, and all that. Love is not inflated. Love is not puffed up. So if you are proud and puffed up and inflated and all that, you know what you are? You're just like one of those Halloween blow-ups in the front yard blowing in the wind. That's all you're doing. Pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick except the person who has it. Number six, love is not rude. To put that in a positive way, love is courteous. Love says please and thank you, especially in the home. Love asks, how may I help you? Love says, let me get, let me get that for you. Love is not rude. Love is courteous. Number seven, love is not self-seeking. Love is not wise in its own eyes. Love is always other-oriented, not self-oriented. Others, Lord, yes, others, let that my motto be, help me to live for others that I may live for thee. The Lord first, others second, me last. The next one, love is not easily angered. Wow, we live in an angry society, don't we? In the political world, both sides are angry at each other, but yet both sides are angry among themselves. And that anger is going to spill over. I don't care who wins the election. Well, I do care who wins the election. (laughs) But that anger is going to spill over no matter who wins the election. Like we've never seen. When Linda and I went to sell our house in Angola, went down to the title company to do the closing and all the paperwork and all that, and the lady that was doing the closing, I had seen her in town before, but she was never a part of any community group or social group or any group I was ever in in all the years that, that we were there. So I asked, how long have you been doing this? And she said, 40 years. And I, just to carry on the conversation, you've seen a lot of changes. And her immediate response was, yes. And this year, everyone is angry. That's how she summarized the experience that she has had with people selling their house. This year, everyone is angry. And my response was, how can that be? They're selling their house. They're buying another one. 
just everyone is angry. Over the years, I have been surprised how many people deal with anger in their home. I'll talk about this topic the last Sunday in December, if everything goes according to plan. Even the most loving and polite among us in public can have holes in the walls in their home because they got so angry or they threw something. And if anger is a part of your family, you know somebody who's angry all the time, get help. You're not normal. Love is not angry. Number nine. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Now let me talk about the abusive home here for a while. And I'm going to present this from the perspective that the man is the abuser. Knowing very well that when it comes to verbal pollution, the woman can be the worst abuser in the home. But I have to present this from one side to the other, so I'll do this with the man being the abuser. I have seen 1 Corinthians 13 on several occasions, many actually, be wrongly applied for both sides of the abuse. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 does not apply to you in any way if you are in an abusive situation. I've seen where the abuser will say to his wife, if you loved me, you would just be more patient with me. If you loved me, you would put up with my rudeness. If you loved me, you wouldn't get angry. If you loved me, you wouldn't take, you wouldn't make any metal records of all the wrongs that I've done. If you loved me, you would trust me, and we could work this out. If you loved me, we would persevere. It would all come out good in the end. 1 Corinthians 13 does not apply to your situation if you are the abuser. Then I've seen the wife reason. If I loved him, I would be more patient with him. If I loved him, I would accept his rudeness. If I loved him, I would not be angry at him all the time. If I loved him, I wouldn't keep a metal record of how many times he has hurt me. And the amazing thing here is that if you were raised in the church, if you were raised in a Christian home, if you were raised memorizing scripture, and you find yourself in an abusive situation, you're more apt to misapply 1 Corinthians 13 than those out in the world are. Because you, in that situation, if you're raised in the church, raised in a Christian home, you've experienced love. Then you find yourself in a non-loving situation. You've been taught how love should respond. 
God did not make you, if you're in an abusive situation, God did not make you in his image so that you could be abused by someone. Not at all. You're nobody's punching bag. Certainly nobody's physical punching bag. You're nobody's verbal punching bag. And it is okay, if you're in an abusive situation, it is okay to keep a record of wrongs. If you are being physically abused, you should get out. You should get out today. If you are being verbally abused, you should draw the proverbial line in the carpet and say, this isn't happening in this home ever again. This is not the way life is supposed to be lived between us. Nobody should be throwing verbal pollution at you. I'm going to tell you a story about the church in Angola. And I do my best not to tell these type stories, but it applies to here, to this. The church in Angola for, I guess, 20, 25 years, did a thing called the children's resale. You, you, see, it, you see it over here. Uh, in, in fact, the largest children's resale in Elkhart County actually comes from a lady that, was, that grew up at the, the, our church in Angola. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's the, and we took her idea when she moved over here, got married and moved over here. We took her idea and, and took it back to, to the church in Angola. And one of the things we did at the church in Angola was we overstuffed the literature rack in the ladies' bathroom with abusive literature, domestic violence literature. I would go down to the Kava office, and the lady that ran that attended our church too, and ask a community action, community against violent action is Kava, and ask for their, their literature. It wasn't Christian literature at all. Uh, but it wasn't non-Christian either. And we, and we just overstuffed the literature rack. And this event would draw about 600 people. And I'm not exaggerating when I say it. It draws 600 people and 550 of them did not attend that church. I mean, it was a community event like you can't imagine. And all that, almost every year, all that literature. And it's just a one-day event on Saturday morning. All that literature is taken out of our bathrooms. I, I, re, I pulled this up this morning on, my, on the internet. Last year, something different happened. I went down and got all that literature, a year, year, just a year ago, went down and got all that literature, put it in the bathrooms, about two weeks ahead of time, put it in the bathrooms and everything. And I noticed, because I was the guy in charge of keeping the literature racks run, full and looking nice, I noticed that, wow, the majority of this literature that we put in there is already gone. And I said to myself, what is happening here? So Pastor Joel and I, we talked for a while, and we came to the conclusion, the people in the congregation are dealing with things that they're not telling anybody, or they know their loved ones, friends or family, are in abusive situations. You may be surprised how prevalent that is in the church.
if you find yourself in an abusive situation, it's okay to keep a record of wrongs. And when it comes to forgetting, forgiving and forgetting, when it comes to forgiving and forgetting, only God can do both. You may be asked to forgive, but God is not asking you to forget. And a lot of people, especially if you're raised in the church, you get in the back of your mind, you, well, I've forgiven them, but I can't forget. So it must be because I can't forget, must be I can't, I haven't forgiven yet. That is not true. Only God forgives and forgets. He may be actually asking you to remember what has happened to you so that it does not happen again. Don't remember it to the point that it ruins your life, but remember it to the point that this isn't going to happen again. Normal love keeps no record of wrongs, and all of us have had to forgive one another to the nth degree on this one. 70 times 7. Domestic violence is not normal. And maybe somewhere down the road, have a whole series on, on forgiveness. And we've come back to this forgiving and forgetting. Only God does that. Number 10. We'll go a little faster now. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So here's the question. What do you rejoice in? What do you not rejoice in? What makes you happy? What makes you sad? Graduate level love does not rejoice when something bad happens to someone else even though you may think they deserved it. Graduate level love is happy when truth wins out. And we live in a day, wow, do we ever live in a day when evil makes some people happy and truth makes some people very unhappy, angry. And you only have to look at the abortion issue to see that. There are those in our society who rejoice at abortion. And they're sad when the truth, and angry when the truth is presented that life begins at conception. Is it number 11? Love always protects. When what this word protects means is that love always puts a roof over you. Love always puts a roof over those that it loves. And to make this practice, and it puts a covering over people. Love puts a covering over people. And to make, make this practical for us, and we've all done this at one time or another, love puts a blanket over the kids after they fall asleep on the couch. That's just what that is. Mm-hmm. Number 12, love always trusts. 
It trusts that God is in control. It trusts when things seem to not be going the way you would like to have them go. But love always trusts that it's going to work out in the end. It might not work out the way we have planned, but it's going to work out in the end for the better. Number 13, love always hopes for the best. It sees the best in people. Number 14, love always perseveres. Love gives you the strength to keep going on, to keep plugging away, to help you take the next step. Love helps you take the next step. Love gives us endurance. And do I dare to say it? Love is like the Energizer Bunny. Mm -hmm. Love recharges our emotional batteries. Then the last one. Love never fails. And that word never means not even at any time. Love not even at any time fails. And this word is used many, many times in the Bible. You can give a lot of illustrations here. That word never is used in James 1, 11, and it's used of flowers that never fade. So in 1 Corinthians 13, it means that the flowers of love never fade. The flowers of love never die. In 1 Peter 1, 24, it is used of a ship out of control. So in 1 Corinthians 13, it means that Love never lets things get completely out of control. And tough love, boundaries. Graduate level love sometimes has tough love, boundaries, so that the person that you love don't get out of control. In Acts 27, it is used of the shackles that fall off the prisoner's wrist. So in 1 Corinthians 13, it means that love never lets go. It always has a tight grip on things. Graduate level love. We do not naturally head in that direction, do we? We need lessons on what love is all about. That was this morning's sermon. Let me pray with you. So God, thank you for love. Thank you for love. Help us to attain graduate level love. In Christ's name, amen.